there's no question. It's actually something, as much as it's a, I'm sad when the still water season comes to an end, I am somewhat excited to start the tying journey over the winter because every year there's new materials coming out. There's new patterns by some very innovative tires out there that are coming out um, that inspire me. And, and just that level of creativity is, is something I very much look forward to. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides, gear reps, and resort managers, thoughts on entomology, fly patterns, destinations, and plenty of fish stories. An exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here's your host, Mark Hopley, with this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Today we've got on the program Trevor Tatarchuk. Now Trevor's out of Prince George. If you at all follow the Stillwater Facebook page, you're probably familiar with his amazing chronomid patterns and some amazing fly patterns that he ties. Uh, Trevor, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I always, before, we'll get into all of the patterns that you're making and kind of maybe some tricks and tips on, on, on tying some amazing Karani patterns. I'm just really curious if you could, just off the uh, get-go, tell us kind of how you got into this in the first place. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, you know, I've been in Prince George for about uh, 16 years now, grew up in, uh, in the Lower Mainland, uh, fished the rivers uh, extensively, uh, you know, <laughs> bait guy at the end of the day down there. Um, really didn't start getting into fly fishing until I relocated to Prince George. Um, you know, the amount of lakes that were up here, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, to hook up with another couple fellows up here. Um, that's what they did. Uh, they introduced me to the sport, and uh, literally within a year, I was spending thousands. <laughs> and, uh, you know, right off to the races, tying flies and, uh, and, and getting right into it. So, What made you, Trevor, take the transition from kind of the, the spin spinning gear to to fly fishing you kind of remember when that all started for you yeah absolutely i think it was more the entomology uh, of it all um really uh you know seeing how these guys were tying the flies really imitating the life that was out there um you know i'm, I'm artistic by nature and uh that uh, that was a natural fit for me so um, really got into the fly tying right off of the bat and of course uh you know it, it fed into my passion of, uh, of fly fishing when you sit down to tie, yeah, are you normally trying to duplicate something or kind of what? I'm really curious on a on a scale of creativity. When you sit down, are you looking at a picture on of a chronomid, a natural, and then trying to imitate that, or how, what's your thought process on that? Yeah, I do both actually, to tell you the truth. So I have a lot of my uh, my working patterns uh, that I've honed over the years that uh, obviously started from uh, from the naturals. Um, you know, always trying to duplicate that, but I really do enjoy the, uh, the creative process and just trying something a little different, um, that gives the suggestion, um, of what I'm, I'm trying to accomplish, but might add just a, a little touch of flash or, uh, or, a, a just a, a little bit different of a profile, different colored beat, these, these t sort of things. So, um, the, yeah, the creative part, uh, I really enjoy. When you're tying, are you mainly tying midge patterns, chronomid patterns? 
Uh, main, well, right now I am, uh, that's for sure. But uh, no, um, it's it's not a main focus of mine. Um, although this year uh, I committed to uh, to updating my box. So, I mean, I've got a thousand of these things at any given time. So, Tell us a little bit about how you're doing. Like the last few patterns I've seen you put out on social media have been pretty stellar. And so when I get the opportunity to talk to somebody that's behind those patterns, I, I get a little excited on a, on a personal level. How how do you go about create like what's your go to body wrap on some of these midge patterns you're doing? Well, see, I've really been focusing on thread. Uh, to be honest, there's there's all sorts of cool uh, products out there that'll give you the flash, give you you know what you're looking for. But um, a, a big focus of mine is a real thin taper, um, and I just find I can really accomplish that with the thread uh, base. I've been doing a lot of blended thread patterns, uh, these types of things. Uh, but I will use uh, uh, buzzer wraps, these types of things. What type of thread are you using, Trevor? The UTC seventy for the most part okay so then so just take us through this step by step so when you're starting a, a body on one of your karate patterns yeah. are you just building that body strictly with the utc 70 yeah on the on the small patterns like anything i would say geez uh 14 and smaller um yes it's 100 percent thread um if i'm going to get into some of the larger bomber patterns or or anything like that i will step into a, a uni stretch just to build up a bit of that taper so i'm not using so much thread um but uh I don't mind using the thread uh, to build up the tapers. Uh, you know, thread is cheap at the end of the day, and I, I find I have far much more uh, control at the end of the day. What kind of bobbin are you using? Ah, uh, Dr. Slick. Okay. Yep. Ton of the ceramic Dr. Slicks, yeah. So now are these patterns, most of these have tungsten beads that you're, you're doing, or what kind of beads uh, are you using? It depends. Uh, a lot of them will have tungsten. A lot of them will just be brass. So, yeah, it's a combination of both. So once you've got that thread body established on most of your patterns, then um, do you go to the rib or what's the next step that you usually do on your patterns? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I'm tying in the rib with the base thread, uh, building up the taper at that point. Um, you know, I use a lot of half hitches uh, to save my work and then put it in the cradle. Um, you know, a rotary vise uh, for me is essential. Um, I don't wrap a rib without the rotary function. Um, so that's mm -hmm. one way I can keep uh, really good control and seeing, you know, both sides of the fly as, a, as I'm doing uh, my rib. That's a really good point right there because I think for a lot of people that maybe don't have a rotary vice, and I think in this day and age, a lot of most people probably do that are serious about yeah. it, but speak to the game changer that is. Oh, it, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, I tied on an old Regal knockoff for years and uh, I could put out some pretty good flies. I mean, I, I was happy. Um, but once I stepped up into uh, into a rotary, for me, it was a game changer, uh, much more efficient um, and a lot more confident with my patterns and my wraps. What are you making your gills out of? Uh, that I'm using uni stretch as well, white uni stretch. Yeah, I like that too. Works great. So then, uh, what about the wing casings? If you do like the little, sorry, the, like the little wing buds on your patterns, because I have seen a few of those. Yep, yep. For the most part, I'm using a UTC rust brown, um, or on occasion, I will use the burnt orange as well. So those those are pretty okay. much my go tos. I would say rust brown is is predominantly the one I, that I use. And when you go to finish the pattern. 
this is a million dollar question. What are you finishing it with? Is it a UV resin? Is it a is it a some type of a clear coat? What what are you using? Yeah, I get this question a lot. Um, you know what? I'm a diehard Sally's hard as nails guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have not jumped into the UV world yet. Um, I am curious about it. I've been following it for a few years now. Um, just waiting to see kind of you know how it all flushes out. So um, little little concerned with the off gassing and these types of things i've heard a few few horror stories i know a few people personally that have had some uh, some pretty bad reactions so um i'm happy with the with the sallies um you know i put on uh, two coats at all times sometimes three depends um does it add an extra step yeah but you know when i'm banging these things out uh, it, it's 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 not a ton more time really at the end of the day and i i mean i've been doing this for years i've never had any problems with discoloring or uh, i feel like they're it's not doing its job so quite happy with it when you use the Sally Hardest Nails, which is, uh, I know a lot of guys like to use that. It's really reasonable, and I know I, I've got some in my hand right now. I'm looking at it. Yeah. Is it, how long do you let it dry before you add that second coat? Uh, you know what? I'll go five minutes. With, oh, within okay. five minutes, I can, now I, I don't, you know, I don't put it on really thick, right? So um, I find within five minutes, uh, you know, 10 is probably a little better, but within five, it's set up enough where I can apply another coat. So do you find that when you do that, you use the applicator that comes with the... I do. The yeah. gloss or... Yeah, I do yeah, use okay. the brush. However, I do cut the brush down. I find it, ah. it's, a, it's a little long. I get a little more, I cut about a third, a third off of it. Do you cut it to a point? Or yeah, do you... I do at a little bit of an angle. Not quite a 45, but yeah, there is a slight angle there. So I do have a, a finer tip. Yeah. I like it. Now we're getting to the good stuff. <laughs> so um, for those that may not know, we're talking about tying, uh, well, fly patterns in general, but for the most part, uh, speaking to chronomid patterns. Um, we're speaking today with Trevor Tatarchuk out of Prince George. And so Trevor... I'm picturing this, so now you got the gloss on there, you've got your two coats, is it done, is it put to bed then, or is there anything else you do to finish it off? No, it's it's put to bed at that point. Okay, so do you add the clear coat in the vise, or do you tie a bunch and then, you know what I mean, do you, like, do you use your rotary function maybe? Yeah, absolutely I do, um, so what I'll do is, if I'm sitting down and I'm going to be banging out a few, I, I get an assembly line going, right, so, you know, if I, let's say I'm doing a half a dozen, for example, um, I'll put an hour aside and, uh, you know, I can uh, tie in all the gills, put them down, put on all the beads, you know, I kind of get an assembly line going, um, all my bob bobbins are loaded up with the thread that I need, so I can really just pick up the fly and go on to the next step. If I need to change into the next thread, it's out of the vise and on to the next one. Um, same thing when I'm doing my, my final coat with the Sally's, right? So um, I'll put on a coat, peg it, uh, take it out of the vise. You know, new one goes into the vise, peg it on a piece of cork once it's, uh, once it's clear coat and then on to the next. So then I'll rotate them out like that. What kind of wire are you using on most of your patterns? Are you going fairly small? Yeah, a lot of, I do use a lot of small. When I'm doing a double rib, I do use a lot of extra small uh, ultra wire. Um, and then I will work in a lot of uh, flashaboo and other types of flash. Um, uh, but I will also use uh, um, some small size wire as well. Um, once I start getting into, I would say maybe the... 16s and above at times so maybe even 14. I noticed a lot of your patterns with the double rib too you find that effective? Yeah it's just something I like doing is it catching any more fish? No 
at the end of the day. Um, but it, it's something, you know, when you, when you really look at a, uh, at the rib of a, of a real chronomid, you do see, um, a, a little black band in front of the color a lot of the time. So I use a lot of black ultra wire, uh, in my patterns to just give that shadow line and a natural shoulder, uh, to my fly. So I find that, um, when I put on my clear coat, it does help to suggest that, uh, that segmentation a little bit better. That's fairly yeah. subtle. Yeah. It's amazing that just that little bit of shadow, how that little bit of black rib combined with silver can really um, A- duplicate absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Do you use any flashaboo in your patterns? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So now what would you use that for? Is a body material on occasion or are you just kind of trying to accentuate um, some ribs or how does that Yeah. Work? Yeah, mostly for the ribs, to tell you the truth. I use uh, uh, various types of flash. Um, you know, on some of the smaller patterns, um, I will stretch the flashaboo as well. Um, so I, I don't get, uh, you know, too wide of a rib. A few little techniques there on the smaller patterns. I find a little stretch here will thin it out, and uh, and I'll be able to use that then. That's a really good tip, actually, because I do find a lot of times the, the flash of, I'm, I have may be too thick. I never really, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think of stretching it. So you just stretch it with your hand and, and just... Absolutely, I just stretch it with my hand, and uh, it uh, for the most part, it doesn't lose any of its color or anything like that or do anything strange, and uh, it thins out quite nicely, so... You mentioned earlier that you like to do a lot of half hitches on your patterns. So like when you say that, um, how often are you doing that? Every time you're going up and down the hook? Well, every, anytime I'm going on to a next step with a new material uh, at the end of the day. So um, for example, with my thread uh, blending uh, that I do a lot of, um, I'll lay down the base and then I'll come back up. I'll half hitch it behind, uh, behind the bead, snip it off, tie in a new one, uh, bring it back up. Once I get the taper kind of complete, half hitch that, bring up the rib. Hey, the first rib, tie that in, um, half hitch that, <laughs> and okay. then on to the last one. So uh, it is a series of half hitches. I'm very, very cognizant of the uh, the amount of uh, wraps that I do when I'm tying materials in. Um, always conscious of the taper, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes I'll leave a little ditch, uh, just a very small ditch in behind the bead where that will allow me. Um, if I know I'm tying in three materials, for example, with a series of half hitches, and then I still have to do a, uh, you know, some uh, rust brown for the thorax uh, in behind the bead. Um, I find that sometimes a little bit of a ditch in behind there will help out. When you're doing your half hitches, what's your magic number of uh, going around the hook? It is one. That is it. Come on. Really? One. Interesting. Yeah. Even when you finish it off? No, no. This is just as I'm tying the materials for my my final whip finish. it's It's always three. I guess if you did more than that, you'd be building up too much bulk. Well, that's just it. Yeah, exactly. As far as tying the the, the patterns that you're doing, what, what's your go-to hook? Because for me, the, the hook is probably one of the most important things. We don't always talk about the, the hook selection. What, what's your go-to? Yeah, well, you know, my go-to over the last few years has honestly honestly been the Togan series um, of their curved nymph hooks. Um, I've caught a lot of large fish over the years on them. Um, I've never had any concerns. Uh, they are priced right. Um, and I do like the profile of the hooks as well. So, um, for my cronies, that's, that's predominantly what I'm using. Um, I used to be, uh, be a big, uh, Daiichi, uh, 1760 fan. I mean, that was, that was a big one that I used back in the day, but, uh, you know, for now it's all Togan's hooks. Yeah. Fair enough. 
We'll get back to time in a second. I just want to take a bit of a three, uh, a 180 on here and, and talk fishing. So where are you doing a lot of your fishing? Is it in and around the Prince George area, the Caribou? Or where are you uh, fly fishing? That's exactly, yeah. yeah. Mostly around Prince George and, uh, and the Caribou, for sure. Um, the last few years, I've been focusing a lot down in the Caribou. If you would kind of look back at when you started fly fishing and kind of where you're at now, who would you say has been one of the biggest influences on your fly fishing oh boy i mean geez i mean the guys that really i looked up to back then still do to this day you know the brian chaz the phil rowley's uh you know john kent as a fly tire these these are guys that had uh a huge influence uh on me and uh and, and my hobbies so yeah well said what about fly tying who's been the biggest influence in your in your Time. Oh, geez, so many. I mean, those three right there, obviously the big ones, but uh, I mean, geez, you know, uh, Freshy uh, has been another one, you know, um, right. but uh, there's a lot of talented tires uh, that I know personally as well. Um, nobody else would know them, <laughs> unfortunately, but, uh, you know, I, I and t- to this day, uh, I mean, with social media and Instagram and Facebook and the and dedicated pages to the art of fly tying and fly fishing, it's just incredible um, that the talent that, that that's out there. Um, I'm inspired by by anybody and everybody. You were telling me off air that you get an amazing amount of requests for flies. <laughs> I do, yeah. To talk. Talk to me about that a little bit. Do you, is that something you just kind of go, wait a minute, I'm doing this for fun, or how does that look? Yeah, I, I don't know where I'm at. I, I mean, geez, um, I've never really posted my flies on social media. I really started doing it kind of over the last, I would say, two years. But this year, I, I really started focusing more on doing that. And not so much to show them off, but uh, I felt it was a good way for me to start logging some of my patterns. It's, it's just going to live on social media. I'll always have a reference, and if I can and share these with others that enjoy it hey great uh you know killing two mm-hmm. birds with one stone um but yeah it is resulting in uh, in a number of messages per day um anytime i post a new pattern i am getting private message through instagram or facebook uh, asking if i'm selling or sharing my recipes or you know all of the above so well when i, I spoke we spoke uh i think a week ago and i was blown away with how open you were and and i find that just about with everybody that I talk to in, in this industry as a whole. And it's, it's really nice. And I appreciate you taking the time today to sit down with us. Not a problem. It's my pleasure. So I'm, I'm also uh, a question that I have in my mind is, okay, when you tie this beautiful looking chronomid and you're like, okay, I'm going to put this on social media. Yeah. How do you capture that? Because I think there's a lot of people that maybe don't fully understand. I know I'm one of them trying to take quality pictures on a, on a small, like on a micro or macro scale what's your secret on that <laughs> you know it's funny um i all my pictures are taken on an iphone 6s and i use an app called camera plus actually that uh another fellow tire by the name of rick beck um who's quite active on the uh, on the other pages as well um he let me in on a little secret there so i tried that and it's it's got a macro function on there that works quite well with the phone so it's 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 a matter of uh, of lighting and a steady hand <laughs> i was gonna say do you have that on a tripod or not do you just have all. hands of steel not, not at all not at all it's really? all freehand yeah so if you're going out in the caribou yeah and it's let's say it's may 
anime and the crannies are really popping. What's your go-to? What are you going to start with normally in your neck of the woods? All right, yeah. Usually, if I'm coming to a lake and I notice some crannies are popping off, I mean, I'll usually start with a black cranny with a red rib. You know, depending on the lake, uh, will dictate the size. Um, but typically, it'll probably be around a size 16 to a 14 is what I'll throw on there. Um, otherwise, it would be a chromie. Um, with a black or a red rib, yeah, that, and depending on and depending on the lake, you know, if it's going to be a tannic yeah. lake or if it's a clear lake, that'll dictate whether I'm using a uh, a white bead or more of a natural looking with uh, with the gills. Are you fishing your patterns for the most part on floating lines with indicators? Are you using sinking lines? How does that look? No, I'm mostly uh, mostly an indicator guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is your uh, Instagram? Uh, handle if people want to check out some of these flies. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, bows and brews. So that's uh, B O W S letter N, and brews is B R E W S. Follow me up. And then, of course, you are posting on the uh, the Stillwaters Facebook page. Uh, you're one of the regular contributors on there, and uh, I appreciate that because I, I I do look at that site a lot. Um, I I think there's some cutting edge stuff on there, and there's a lot of guys. Um, that people, not a lot of people have heard of, and all of a sudden these patterns show up, and I go, holy mackerel, that guy really knows, or that gal really knows what's going on. Absolutely. I've noticed the same thing. It's actually, it's a really, really good page. Uh, Brent has done a good job in putting that together. So Yeah. You know something that we haven't talked about? Um, we talked a little bit about bobbins. I like to talk scissors, and I'd like to talk um, tying, uh, fly tying vice. What, what are okay. you uh, using for a fly tying vice right now? Uh, so I'm using a peak rotary. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Have you used that one for quite a while? Uh, for the last few years. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a great vice. Okay. Yeah. Very happy with it. Now I would imagine when you're tying these, a lot of these patterns are fairly small that you're doing. So, um, in order yeah. to get the best cut on that thread, what, what kind of scissors are you using? Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. So I do prefer Dr. Slick, Arrowpoint. Um, those are my go-to scissors. Um, however, um, when I'm doing uh, the small chronomids, I am a razor blade guy. Ah, okay. I've tried that. You got it. I have uh, also almost lost my mind a few times because you cut it a little too tight <laughs> and everything comes apart. Well, see, one, one tip there is you rest it up against the base of the bead hang your thread down and use your bead as a guide. So put the, put the blade proud of the bead up against the thread and then pull the thread towards the razor blade. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Are you on this Sharpie train recently as far as coloring thread and using maybe a lighter thread or is that something you get into or not at all? Yeah, no, I've, I've dabbled with that over the years. I, I do it on occasion for sure. Um, but it's not something uh, I focus on regularly. No, I uh, the the sharp. I mean, if you're going a white thread and you're doing some of the more vibrant colors and these types of things, it works well. Um, but I have been over the last couple years uh, doing a lot of the blending techniques, which is nothing new. People have been doing that forever. Um, but I find with the UTC thread, I, I get much more vibrant colors. Uh, they're a little truer to form. Um, and I just enjoy the process of it all. Do you use a lot of uh, window film or any type of iridescent, uh, you know, covers on your patterns? 
No, you know, I, I'm really just, uh, I stick to buzzer wrap and ASB. Um, I have not tried uh, the window tinting yet, to be honest. It does look really interesting. I know there's a few guys out there doing it. Um, the patterns look great. Uh, but to be honest, I haven't experimented with it yet. That buzzer wrap is a, is a real game changer, isn't it? Man, it's really, really nice. It's it's very subtle. Um, it's very thin, which allows for uh, a nice profile, you know, keeping the bulk down. Um, easy to control. Um, comes in a vast array of different colors, so you can use different underbodies with, uh, with a different color over top, and it completely changes the fly. So it, it is a really, really neat product. Do you do a lot of patterns where your rib's on top of that underbody, or is it the other way around a lot of times the overbody you know so it looks like it's kind of coming up through the skin yeah no i'm i'm always putting my rib um as the last the last piece on my fly so it's always over top interesting i have i've seen yeah. both ways and sometimes they they both appeal for different reasons yeah yeah, I've seen it both ways as well. Um, I like the idea of having that rib over anything that I'm wrapping as the last wrap. Um, just to me, uh, it makes a bit more of a durable fly um, and, and holds everything together. And again, it does create that natural shoulder where when I do put on my finished coat, it allows everything to blend in nicely. So, The area in which you tie your flies, I've seen some very elaborate settings. So basically everything's in front of you. Some people are just using, you know, basically rubber made totes to store things. Explain that, that, how that looks for you. Yeah. Yeah, sure. No, I've, uh, I've got a dedicated room. Um, I have a large corner desk. I have, well, I'm, I'm sitting in here right now, um, on each wall, I have about, uh, oh, three foot by four foot pieces of, uh, pegboard, um, with all my, uh, my hackles, my tubbing, my flash, uh, everything is hanging up there. Uh, beads and hooks are all in, uh, little organizing drawers that I have, uh, on top of my desk here, uh, thread racks, uh, yeah, everything is very accessible and very laid out do you use um doweling at all for for thread spools or do you just you mentioned rack so they're on a like an open rack yeah it's a it's a thread rack with doweling so i've got a couple of those most of these interviews that i do it's either a guide sitting in his truck after coming off the river or um <laughs> or or buddy sitting at his tine bench with something cold in his hand so um, yeah <laughs> that's exactly uh, it, yeah i'm definitely the latter that's for sure you know what helps with me is i can never remember the names of some of these materials like to some people that comes naturally i just i just it, i have it it's on the wall and i don't have to think yeah. about it but then when somebody asks me what are you using i really have to think about <laughs> it yeah i hear you yeah i do that as well do you do a lot of scud patterns yeah i do a lot of scud patterns uh i haven't tied up a ton of those uh, as of late because i've i've got a ton of them but uh yes I, I do enjoy the scud patterns i fish them quite regularly do you find that you know with some of these you just mentioned like maybe over a thousand chronomet patterns i'm thinking in my mind is that sometimes too much of a selection when you hit the water yeah you know it's debatable right <laughs> it really is um you know, if you have 20 of one pattern, is that a little bit overkill? Yeah, maybe. But uh, if it's a proven pattern, I mean, you, you know, you've got a season supply potentially. So um, is a thousand too much? Well, it, it, it depends, I guess, is how I would answer that. Um, I like to keep quite a collection, right? So they're all very unique. They're all 
different. Um, you know, I probably have no more than a half a dozen of any given pattern out of that thousand. So in that particular size. So, you know, I might have a half a dozen of this, but I'll knock it down a smaller size and then, you know, I'll have two to three sizes of, of that pattern. So it starts adding up pretty quick once you look at it that way. If you want six and a, a size 14, 16, 18 and a 20, half a dozen of each one pattern, right? It's It, it starts adding up mm -hmm. pretty quick. So, and sometimes, you know, that size and that particular color, that's going to make or break your day. So I'd rather be overprepared than undergunned. No question. Are you that guy that when you're out there on the water with your buddy or buddies, think in your mind, okay, I got this one that's a little different than the one I'm going to give them. I'm going to try this. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I mm -hmm. am. Um, and I'll usually, if, uh, if I'm in the boat, some, you know, somebody's throwing on a pattern, I'll let them throw on the first pattern. I'm a-okay with that. I will not put on the same pattern. Um, I will ensure mine is different, maybe subtly or, or drastically different. So um, I am that guy for sure. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. And and I have this problem, and I've mentioned this before. I don't want to rehash it all the time, but I almost never tie the same pattern twice. I mean, sometimes I'll tie a couple of something, but um, for someone that's doing it commercially, or, or you, it, it sounds like you've got your go-to patterns, but I, I just always want to tweak it just a little bit. Oh, man. I have so many one-offs that aren't in my box, it's not even funny. So I, I do enjoy uh, tying those one-offs. They are, in my opinion, the only way you get to that pattern that, that is going to be one of your proven patterns on the lake. You know, you, you want that pattern that's just slightly different. Well, well, let's try this color with this rib. Let's try this taper, this profile, this over wrap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so there's a lot mm -hmm. of trial and error, and uh, I sure have a lot of one-offs as well that, that aren't sitting in my box. There's no question. What do you do with all your one-offs? You just put them in a big Ziploc bag? Yeah, or how does that they're look? in another box that lives on my desk, and uh, a lot of those ones get given away to friends as well. They'll come and, you know, come down to my fly room, and they'll purge my boxes. Hey, are these ones in your go-to arsenal? No, eh, you know, fill your boots. So, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but then again, I do have another one where these one-offs, is like, you know what, I'm pretty happy with that. I'm going to park it, right? So I have a couple different boxes. So I have kind of, not the junk box, but the one-offs that you're kind of like, hmm. You know, maybe not one I'd, I feel really confident with. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's face it, that confidence is key most of the time. It's all it's all about confidence. You know, it's, if you believe in the pattern and uh, you truly feel that's going to be a go-to, I mean, you got to work it. And I can honestly say, I mean, you know, doing it, doing it quite a while here. So, um, you know, when you put the time in and you feel confident, you know, your gut really never leads you wrong so from your time on the uh caribou still waters or rivers have you had anything kind of weird wonderful happen to you out in the water i always like to ask my guests if they have any crazy fish stories oh boy yeah i mean had quite a few i mean last year i had uh quite a large black bear swim up about uh oh geez within i'd say about 60 70 feet of the boat um just let them come out for a little while there that was one last year but i mean Jeez, I've had everything from, uh, well, there's one lake in the Caribou that I fish quite a bit, and uh, they have some resident eagles there, and uh, they sure know the scream of the reel. So uh, once a fish is on, they're circling overhead, and uh, I've had them steal fish right off my line. Um, once as it was released, um, wow. damn near took my head off. Uh, I've had loons at the boat, same lake, actually. 
um, you know, taking the fish. I lost a, jeez, uh, it had to be at least six or seven pounds right at the boat by a loon. Wow. You know, looking at it, just going, you know, why are you going for a fish this large? How are you even going to eat it? So, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's amazing how often that happens and those those uh, creatures get habituated to people letting fish go. <laughs> Oh, they know as soon as that reel screams, I mean, they, they know it's a dinner bell, right? There's a loon at a certain lake or a family of loons that all you have to do is have a bend in your rod or pretend like you have a fish on and they are diving. <laughs> right. <You know. laughs> yeah. I was fishing behind Kamloops one time and a buddy caught, uh, you know, like a pound and a half rainbow. All of a sudden, it yeah. took off. Like, I'm talking, like, just like a, and he thought he had a monster. It turns out the loon surfaces with his fish. And then from yeah. out of nowhere, a osprey starts diving the loon to try and get the fish. Wow. And it was just like, we were hysterically laughing because we, it, it was like, it was a comedy of errors. But uh, the loons went away That's with awesome. the fish. And, yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah, but that's that's what adds that other dynamic to fly fishing, right? I mean, it's it's the wildlife. It's it's those those odd things that happen that just you know kind of make your day. It's it's unfortunate on one hand, you know, you lose the fish to uh, one of your competitors there, but at the same time, it's like wow, this is mother nature. This is how it works, right? Exactly. So when you're doing a lot of these patterns, um, they can be a little hard on the eyes. You really have to zoom in on the detail. What's your trick, Trevor, for uh, magnifying what you're tying? That's exactly it. You said the key word. My, my go-to is a magnifying light. I mean, if I'm not tying bombers, that magnifying light is over the vice. It's, uh, I can't do it otherwise. Uh, these eyes are getting a little old. I don't like wearing my glasses. And uh, that magnifying light is a lifesaver. Hmm. So are you wearing glasses as well? Or are you just... Not as okay. well. No, no glasses. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, no. Well, and the other thing, you know, I mean, I could not be able to see the flat thread wraps um, without that magnifying glass. It's just my eyes. My eyes can't do it. So, and that is another important thing to keep in mind, especially with the UTC, is that that thread will lay so flat if you let it. So, you know, you're always counter spinning the bobbin. I'm counting wraps. Wow. <laughs> and I know, you know, after I count so many wraps, I give it a spin and uh, I'm flattening it back out. So what made you get into fly tying at such a level? You know, I think it was just a progression. As I said, uh, you know, art is a big, uh, a big thing for me. Um, you know, I'm into woodworking, I'm into drawing, I'm into painting, I'm into these types of things. So it was a natural progression. I'm a little uh, OCD as well. Uh, it is a good way for me to sit down and, and focus on something with precision. Um, and I, I just get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Yeah, well said. And it, I find, you know... When you go into winter, especially after a season of fishing, it's something you kind of look forward to. It's like, hey, what am I going to do this year at the bench? There's no question. It's actually something, as much as it's, a, I'm sad when the still water season comes to an end, I am somewhat excited to start the tying journey over the winter because every year there's new materials coming out. There's new patterns by some very innovative tires out there that are coming out um, that inspire me. And, and just that level of creativity is, is something I very much look forward to. Do you ever take your tying gear portable either to the lake to a resort where you might be at 
Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I can't say I tie a lot when I'm at the lake, but I do always bring it just in case. There have been those days where, um, you know, you needed to hone in on a natural and, uh, you know, that vice saved the day. So That's when it's difficult to pick the materials when you're looking at your wall and you're saying, okay, what am I going to need on this trip? How, how do you decide? It is. Well, I mean, you stick to the standards, right? <laughs> you know, the greens, yeah. the browns, the blacks, the reds, uh, uh, these types of things. But yeah, I mean, you can never get it quite perfect. But sometimes, I mean, crons aside, um, you know, it could be a color of a dragonfly nymph or, or, or a damselfly or anything like this, or a scud for that matter. And uh, I'll always have various shades of dubbings and furs and, uh, and flash and, and threads. So um, I can usually cover it you know sometimes it's not so much the color sometimes it's the profile sometimes it's the color not so much the profile so sometimes it's a lot of lot of trial and error i think too sometimes we forget what will these flies look like when they're wet you got it you got it that's a very you know very good well it's one thing to look at it in your vice and it's another thing to go okay this is going to look totally different once it's in the water absolutely absolutely so i can i can say you know all my leeches uh anything i'm using with fur or the scuds or anything like this uh, anything outside of a con um i do a wet test i'm i i always want to see what this looks like when it gets wet so um and mm-hmm. it's, it's for color it's for action profile all of the above right do you do a lot of uh, leech patterns, balanced leeches, things uh, like that? You know, it's funny. Balanced leeches, no. Um, I've been pushing it off for years. People swear by them. I've I've fished them. <laughs> I've borrowed a few from a few buddies, and I've had great success on it. Um, it's not something I tie. With that said, um, I just ordered up some jig hooks, and uh, I am going to start experimenting with that here soon. So I'm excited to try. It is something new, so... Other than chronomids and midge patterns, um, I say midge patterns because a lot of people don't call them chronomids. Yep. Um, what what else are your go to in the interior of British Columbia as far as larger patterns? Like, um, what would you look for in your box more often than not? Absolutely. I mean, I would say my go tos are are, are gonfus, uh, you know, dragonfly nymphs and uh, and leeches. For sure, without a question. Um, some of the biggest fish I've ever caught have been on a gonfus and leech um, and, and chronomids at the end of the day. So um, those are the three flies I will always reach to first. Let's talk colors. Um, what, what kind of shades of colors are you, are you fishing in your gonfus patterns? So depending on the lake I'm at, so, you know, there's some lake, uh, you know, there's a very well-known lake in the caribou there where I always do well with a grayish blue uh, uh, type uh, uh, scud pattern. Now other ones are are anywhere from a tan to a, to a darker green. So um, it really depends on the lake I'm at. So I, I've, I've, I've studied this over the years. I do know the lakes and, you know, I'll know when I roll up to this lake, yeah, this should be the prominent color that we should be focusing on. So. And same with dragonfly nymphs, right? So I know some lakes uh, will do better with the green. I mean, typically I'm always going to be a green or uh, the muted brown. Um, but when they're molting, you know, you might get a natural color uh, deer hair gonfus there. And uh, I've had some phenomenal days on those as well. Mm-hmm. What about leech patterns? What's your go-to on the color-wise, uh, maybe a bead-marabou uh, combination? What, what does that look like? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I use a lot of uh, marabou and mohair type leeches. I'm always a bead guy. I like the uh, I like the action that it imparts. So, um, you know, the, I'll hang them under an indicator at a micro leech size uh, size, but uh, you know, I'll cast and retrieve in the weeds. There's some some big uglier you know type leeches, uh, blacks uh, with a bit of flash in there. Um, or or a malted green, uh, greens and browns are are usually where I focus. Um, but on the micro leech side of things, I had great luck with the maroon color as well. Um, that's always a deadly one to hang under an indicator. So those micro leeches are such a, a versatile pattern because it could be a lot Very. of things. A- absolutely, absolutely. So when you're tying, do you prefer to tie realistic rather than suggestive patterns? No, I think I prefer more suggestive at the end of the day. Uh, You know, realistic are great. I enjoy tying them. I feel, though, for me, I like to fish my flies. I want to be efficient as well, right? So as much as I enjoy tying the the odd realistic and as close as I can, I want to tie these things and get them in my box and go fish them. So I'm always looking at ways where I can cut down some time. Uh, give that little bit of uniqueness to the fly pattern, but I want to keep it simple and easy to tie at the end of the day. Uh, so that's something I always look look to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, Trevor, I want to thank you for being such an inspiration in the tying world and uh, for taking the time to come and chat with us today and maybe give a little insight to some of the patterns you're doing. Uh, thanks for coming on. Hey, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Anytime. We've been chatting today with Trevor Tatarchuk out of Prince George, British Columbia, uh, has some amazing, uh, specifically Cronwood patterns and some other great fly patterns. I encourage you to check them out uh, on Instagram at Bows and Brews. That's B-O-W-S-N-B-R-E-W-S. And you'll probably see a lot of his patterns uh, pop up from time to time on the Stillwater Facebook page. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.